0: Welcome to Adventist Voices Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I'm honored to be joined by a returning conversation partner. Welcome back to the show, JP. Thanks for talking with all of us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me back.
0: So we're taking on a book that's been released called, and let me get this right, Biblical Hermeneutics, an Adventist Approach, released by... The Biblical Research Institute, centered there at the General Conference, edited by Frank hosel and it just came out at the end of 2020, and let's not say it's made a splash, but it's caught some folks' attention. Here at Spectrum, we've heard from several folks who are taking it seriously, seriously enough to offer an important critique, and you're one of them. so I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Now, a lot of Adventists might just ignore this. Who cares about hermeneutics? We know that what the GC is interested in doing, we saw their work on women's ordination. It wasn't always um, centered on listening to all of Scripture. And then now they're going to tell us uh, how to think about the Bible and how to interpret it. But you are willing to read and think and critique. So why, first of all, do you care?
1: Well, I think it's been coming to a head uh, quite forcibly after the annual council. So we saw these really divisive tweets from from our elder Ted Wilson. And while that may be very attractive to the world church, it it is a it's a um, it's a bad characterization of the real challenges or the real perspectives that are within his pastoral concern. Um, as the bishop of the General Conference and thus a representation of the church, he can't avoid the reality that he has LGBTQIA plus constituents. He can't avoid that he has critical scholars. Under his guidance, I mean, under, under his, under his, uh, care and concern, um, to just simply ignore what is happening, um, in the history is to ignore his own, his own calling. Then there's the second point when we have the central conferences, uh, pass this wonderful, they made that wonderful decision to ordain women. And the recent decision, the ordination that's coming, um, and, and the challenges, the absolutely violent rhetoric coming from the same camp that is claiming to have biblical truth, or quote unquote present truth, is a complete contradiction to the very to the very a uh, program that they're trying to espouse as the way to read. In other words, if we are going to read a piece of scripture, and it's going to cause us to become literally violent, verbally and and physically against other people, then it isn't Christian. Mm. And if that's the Adventist trajectory, and if that's how we're going to condone it, and the fact that there's been absolute silence from the leadership, except for the Columbia, except for the Central States, who rightfully asked, Why are you all so mean? Mm. I'm paraphrasing, but it's a pretty strong quote. Uh, that leads us to have to question if our leadership is not going to call this into question, how are they then going to come and tell us how we're supposed to read the Bible? And how are they going to tell us what the hermeneutics is?
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's the opening salvo. I'm looking forward to hearing what you really think uh, as we go along here. Now, um, this, just to give some background here. So according to the kind of history here at the end of the last general conference session, there was a delegate on the floor who said, we're uh if you know we've got some issues over women's ordination uh what's at the root of those hermeneutics please dear leadership uh help us out on on this topic of interpretation and so um we've sort of been waiting we haven't heard anything and suddenly this uh this tome drops and um we have 12 uh scholars uh 14 chapters and I'm just wondering, as you've been reading along, what's your sort of general impression of of what we've got going on here? Um,
1: I I think, with all due respect, I I do I have appreciated and I do respect the scholars and their contributions, and so some of my negative responses are not meant to be indicative of my, uh, appreciation for what they're trying to do. And in fact, I think there are some really helpful ways. Like, I think it's, I think for, in, for instance, uh, Peckham's, you know, helping us deal with our inspired prophet and mm-hmm. in engaging biblical and, and for interpretation of, of scripture is very important. And then learning how to understand what the text says about itself is, is a, is a very, very important practice as, as a scholar, as a theologian, and as a member. I think, I think those things are very important. I also think that the endeavor to, to maintain a high Christology is a noble and, and I applaud that effort. And I find that my approaches are, are seeking to do the same thing, but the idea that we, as a church, can come down with one interpretation when we literally have been a non an no, I'm sorry, an anti uh non-reform, I mean, a, a, a non-conformist Western movement, you know, is it's just it's strange. It's it's like, okay, everybody, party's over. Let's let's now do real. Let's now come all home together and. I just, you we're, what we're finding is that we as Avenus are not very good at that. And we haven't really built a theological or, an inter- or even an interpretation or a way to interpret, uh, faith and being and even the reading of scripture in a way that would con- be conducive to a single reading. Um, and so that's, I find that the entire premise to get down to one main interpretation or to create, as we'll talk about in a little bit, a single presupposition, a correct presupposition to engage and build interpretation um, falls on its face. It's just it's just not possible. Um, it's not possible because of what we'll find to be uh, some productive critiques from postmodernism and other voices. Yeah.
0: So let's get into that question of, of sort of the singular, can we distill things down to one um, uh, hermeneutical method? Um, I, a little background, uh, hermeneutics, uh, we think of um, Gadamer, who it was a, a, a sort of a disciple or was influenced by Heidegger and was really driven by this question of being, what is, what's, what's behind uh our, our presence and our ability to um understand and so when we're talking about hermeneutics we're really talking about the art of interpretation or inter- or thinking about the arts of interpretations in the plural but they're not really interested in the plural you're identifying a kind of interesting um a uh, let's say a mono vocal approach Take us away.
1: Yeah, so I want to try to stay, I want to try to stay here because there's a, there's a couple things. Let's let's first let's first attack the idea of a correct presupposition. Because we can actually verify this objectively, that presuppositions have changed over the history of, of Christian thought. And we can also build a strong case that our own effort to create a single presupposition is built from constructs and and from the Enlightenment, from uh, the Reformation. It is not necessarily consistent across, like, first century onward, as if Jesus said, thou shalt read me in one single way. In fact, it seems very consistent in the writings of Jesus, when you see Jesus speak, that he challenges our ability to interpret and understand. He says, actually, when speaking, you're not going to hear, and seeing, you're not going to see. It's the fundamental problem. Uh, I was just laughing, I was just griping with my wife, I'm like, Jesus is literally saying, take care of your widows. And they're hearing, leave, he wants us to leave office and, and, and give up our power. And he's like, no, I just want you to feed the widows, I want you to take care of them. And he's like, no, this is a complete attack. And they, they plan for his death. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how we're reading this in this. We have someone saying, hey, you know, listen to me. I'm in a, I'm in this, I, I believe in the Adventist message, but I don't ascribe in every aspect of this because of how my mind is wired or my body is. I can't help that. Can you help me theologically? Hel- help me understand my place in relationship with Jesus. And our response is, well, you just need to read the Bible as I do, and, you know, and, and, and you'll figure it out, we hope. If not, then, you know, there's a door. <laughs> it's like, I think there's a more, uh, Christocentric, a, a Christian way of doing this, uh, which I think is what they're trying to do, but I don't think we're gonna get there with this single presupposition. Uh, there's also, this interesting thing that we do with an Adventism, where we lift up this method called the historical grammatical method, and we act as if it is not the historical critical method. But in, in practice, and in, and if you look at the JBL, the Society of Biblical Literature, you really engage the scholars on this. It's really not, there's not much of a differentiation from this attempt. In fact, the only difference is this, presumed notion of a hermeneutic of faith versus this hermeneutic of suspicion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll I'll unpack that in just a second, but in principle, we are still using archaeology, we're still using, we still have a high view of history, which is something, and we're still espousing the ability for us to be able to um, reconstruct or articulate a authentic witness, an authentic author an authentic meaning from the text itself. It is essentially the historical critical method. This is what they, I mean, and when you get into postmodern critique, you know, they're under fire. And it's interesting that when you read, uh, this, this book, they're attacking postmodernism. And it sounds like I'm reading uh, from a historical critical scholar <laughs> who's also c- concerned about the real challenges, uh, that are being presented here. Now, to this idea of um oh get my train of thought
0: well let me jump in there while you're yeah, please. that because you've introduced a couple of terms and i'd like to hear your definition of them um let's let's start with this this you know the adventist method the historical grammatical method which has been around for a while uh definitely uh um uh, Gerhard Hausel was a big proponent of it in trying to solve the crises around the sanctuary in the 1980s. It was the central method of the Darcom series, Daniel and Revelation Committee um, books that I read in my late teens and early twenties, trying to be a good Adventist and, and try to follow the um, you know what I thought would be uh, you know key uh adventist thinking on the topic but once i got into a few good classes and started reading outside of the dark canon i <laughs> it really fell apart for me <laughs> and it wasn't some insidious outside force it was just saying wait a second here there there is some textual issues that i can under- that i can pick up there is some historical reality that we have to take seriously so when you're talking about or why don't you give us what they mean what you understand they mean by this historical grammatical method so that folks listening can kind of understand what this means vis-a-vis say proof texting or something else
1: yeah to me from what i'm because i'm i find them almost conjective i think it's, it's a limited form of, of textual criticism. It's a little form of historical critical method that rejects, you know, redaction criticism, text criticism, source criticism, um, uh, reader response.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and instead lifts up, uh, historical methods and grammatical linguistic methods. Mm-hmm. And all within the milieu of maintaining this fact that this is a divinely ordained source that has some metaphysical and almost transubstantial, I mean, literally as it's written, it's almost like uh, a Catholic uh, uh, sacrament hmm. where we have this word of God that is not only given given enlightenment and revelation, but it somehow actually speaks back to us in a way that um, can give us a consistent message. Across culture, across uh, thinking, uh, demographics, it's always going to be consistent because the same God is giving the same enlightenment. That's what I understand mm. grammat use of the grammatical method. I think for the historical method and for the evangelical scholars that they we really are engaging with, the effort is really to just prove that, you know, when Paul says this, it is actually this. That Paul meant A, B, or C. And they're trying to derive that through these critical methods. But they're more, will- they're willing to use these scientific approaches because they believe they can get down to this autograph. For us, we're literally using their conclusions, but then telling everybody that we're not. And then saying that we are just using this, this part that talks about, you know, uh, narrative or something else. And then we just try to like limit that up.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. So that seems to be the, the, the general definition, but ultimately, uh, I'm sorry. One more. So to the point, suspicion is nothing avoided. It's only redirected. So here we are suspicious of any method that seeks to, Hey, wait a minute. We don't actually know who the author is or wait a minute we don't actually know where this was written and that could change what this means. We're critical of any attempt and suspicious of any attempt to challenge the overall framework or canon or textual reception that we have cherished. Mm-hmm. And that's our skepticism. So anybody who who even purports to ask a question that may fundamentally challenge that that framework is held under suspicion just as the hermeneutic of suspicion <laughs> that we that we are so maligned against from the historical critical method and that's why i combine them together because we are ultimate we are always suspicious but we are we subjectively change it to suit our our, our framework
0: i want to pose a question to you uh, basically the question is is this ju- in what way is this apologetics and in and why is that harmful if it is but before i get to that i want to quote from um a great essay that hans gutierrez wrote in spectrum back in 2019 um part of a little series he did called how healthy is adventist hermeneutics a historical imbalance and he makes this point in here that um our constructivist understanding of reality in the bible pushes us to see only the inspired ingredients of a cake that is not given which is emphasized but we must make ourselves and even those who refuse to adapt themselves to the current worldview and biblical interpretation in fact already un- apply what he calls a constructivist under- approach to all in all levels of their lives so, he's talking about a kind of constructivist reality, this idea that we're not actually reading the same Bible that the apostles were participating in constructing, and we're not reading the same Bible that the Reformers were uh, constructing, and that's because there's a what he calls a historical imbalance to Adventist hermeneutics. Now, there, so that's back to my question here for you. Talking about this idea, this kind of romantic notion of a, we must find the one correct way of reading the Bible that everyone around the world, if they do it this way, will find our truth and be safe from any kind of critique. Is that wrong and why?
1: I. It's a double-edged sword, and it. So let me just let me construct what I understand this to potentially be, and then then we can kind of deconstruct some of the problems. To create the single presupposition that will allow a single interpretation, Mm -hmm. we would probably have to start creating a two-person or a two-identity construct. So there's one way in which you act in public. But when you come into a place of Adventist experience, worship, liturgy, uh, outreach, whatever, there's a, there's a language. So you create a liturgy, a dogma that you that you have to approach Uh, it's very very effective um and so when you clock out then you can go back to the bar you can (laughs) it's what the what we do is uh, uh, in the different uh faith traditions right Uh, luther i love how we we emphasize luther's hermeneutics and he would he loved the bar but anyways (laughs) that's and so we could construct a a very very uh concrete and accessible um liturgy and dogma where, but this is essentially the creation of a creedal uh, form, institution, not much different than any other mainline um, Christian uh, faith tradition. Now, that's not necessarily a wrong thing to do, and it's something that can become very life-giving and, and sustaining generationally for a faith community. It may even become a sustained imperative that Adventism to become meaningful long-term, that we will actually eventually have to do something like that. The problem is, is that we are, we have to then disintegrate our modernist understanding of the individual. We have this high understanding of the human conscious, the individual conscience, that when I read the scripture in prayer with God, that the Holy Spirit gives me enlightenment and understanding, And that that understanding can be used as a corrective against error and wrong. And so, when somebody is trying to convey a tradition, or say, this is how you need to understand God, or this is how you need to vote, or something, I'm going to say, I am going to vote my conscience. This liturgy approach, this dogma approach, challenges that notion. It may save the institution, but it will challenge the individual. And. In a weird turn, the major concern that I'm finding in here is the concern for the modern individual, the idea that the modern individual can find objective reality. And the potential solution is by us coming together that we can actually create this singular hermeneutic, the singular interpretation that the individual objective reality can be maintained, when ultimately I see the problem is, it will actually deconstruct that it will just deconstruct the human individual and will ultimately be left uh, with a completely uh, community only uh, uh, foundation, institutional into institutional religion.
0: Uh, that sounds like it could be dangerous for mission, effectiveness. It sounds like um, this sort of hermeneutic could turn out to be ultimately useless. For any of our institutions that are not just inward facing, but outward facing as well. Healthcare, education, uh, and I think perhaps your very faithful missionary in some parts of the world might find that this approach, this kind of two-faced approach could turn, um, or let me say this this a- attempt to shrink it down into sort of one kind of um, uh, um univocal uh perspective would be it would be very hard to have uh conversations with people who have uh an interest in in adventism um but are not ready to buy into the entire framework right away Um, and
1: the orthodox tradition in the orthodox tradition Realize that problem, and that's why they, the Jesuits were created. Because <laughs> you wanted to create the two, they want to maintain this veneer of, of liturgy and creed, but they also wanted to be able to spread Catholicism, the Orthodox faith. I mean, I guess we could use those interchangeably. In, in the time frame, yeah, it was Orthodox, yeah. but the Catholic faith. Yeah. And, that's why you had these Jesuits who were able to mold and change and, and then integrate different cultures, I mean, in order to make it Catholic. Essentially, like, no, this is okay, we can make this Catholic. And over hundreds of years, these things that were heretical and outside were then Christianized. And so, essentially, we would have to do the same thing in order to maintain our mission. So, maybe we're just following the Catholic playbook. <laughs> Which is interesting. <laughs> a- again, again, I look at this agnostically because I, I see it's, it's just, it's just two-faced. We're just in this, we're in this voice where we're speaking as if we're Protestants, but we're, we're trying to adopt policies and theologies that are clearly, uh, the uh, counter protest, right? The, the 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 Jesuit, I mean, the Catholic protest against the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a very interesting time we're in.
0: Yeah, that counter Reformation. Those tactics are kind of interesting because I I kind of feel like uh, this is the as as you're speaking, your argument is making me realize how embattled they must feel at. Uh, the Biblical Research Institute and many of their backers in the upper echelons of church leadership, because they've been fighting a reforming uh, wave in Adventism—the radical idea that women are equal to men in the eyes of God—and the—and uh, they've been losing that in uh, increasing parts of the world. I have gotten a chance to get to know folks. Down in Nigeria, uh, Kenya, South Africa, who are young scholars who have no interest in these kind of historical grammatical arguments. They are ready to see women treated equally, uh, as they feel like they were in many ways in their uh, kind of um, in their communities before the evangelical missionaries showed up. <laughs> And so, (laughs) a post-colonial critique is actually quite helpful in uh, liberating um, Adventism from um, uh, evangelicalism, which I have in the last year really gotten to see kind of, I feel like my blinders are off in seeing the ways that Adventists from 1919, thanks to Michael Campbell's great uh, historical research, on that pivot those that kind of pivotal era wholesale adopted fundamentalism cleaned it up with evangelical language and really uh, has uh, that has been the de facto mode which is always grounded in an apologetic and a a fear-based theology and uh, now we're trying to dig out from underneath that but to call this an adventist approach is just a little disingenuous because it's really evangelical uh her apologetic hermeneutics reconditioned reconti- with a little bit of adventist language now i'm painting with a broad brush here but i'd love to get your perspective on on what you see as the connection to um a kind of evangelical s- suspicion well
1: I mean, this is, this is literally a, it's like I'm reading this text and I'm reading existential crisis and I realize that I I can understand and, and sympathize with the embattled and the, the embattled feelings and the fear that comes from our prior generation of scholarship that have ascribed to this fundamentalist hermeneutic. And it's fundamentalist in that it's it's an approach that is suspicious of any method or science or any a pursuit of science that may through the evidence challenge a cherished understanding rather than and and it I, it was like there was a point in here where they were saying like uh oh let me catch this at the end so actually i have a good quote of this um if you go on page 472 of this hermeneutics book, and I, I'm going to read the, just the last, one of the last paragraphs in the conclusion. Even, and I quote now, even Christian scholars who accept the divine human nature of scripture, but whose methodological approaches cause them to dwell in lar- dwell largely on its human aspects, risk emptying the biblical message of its power by relegating it to the background while concentrating on the medium they forget that medium and message are inseparable and that the medium without the message is as an empty shell that cannot address the vital spiritual needs of humankind. Hmm. This is like telling a medical researcher not to pursue evolutionary biology because it may hurt their reading of Genesis 1 and 2. (laughs) It's absolutely asinine. You're basically telling principal scholars who have a very solid foundation of faith who have been given the gifts by God to be able to compartmentalize their faith and look at things scientifically in which it has historic. I mean, we have been the, 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 uh, um, the fruit, the fruit tree by which the apologetics and these, these, these systematic theologians pull from in order to defend these notions and, and strong high Christologies and stuff because of our technical minutiae findings. And to act as if that approach of being able to to keep and cherish my faith, but also to be taking seriously the the critical uh, uh, information that I'm trying to be faithful to, and that somehow that's a problem, is 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 an indictment on the scholarship that is coming up. It's an indictment on the scholars that are contemporary who have just attempted just to be honest, um, and it's an and it's a. Ch- and it, it breeds a, a, a level of, of uh, maligning of any critical thinker within your local church. Mm. So, anybody who has a real question for the pastor, the pastor is going to then refer to these, these, these documents to try to help them understand. And now that pastor who doesn't have the biblical scholarship and the ability to understand this stuff um, is then going to just say, oh, well you may find that interesting but you're really emptying uh, your faith you're really compartmentalizing that and eventually the devil's going to take that and as a wedge to separate you from god and you got to be kidding me and so we this is not a healthy way healthy way to build community this is not a healthy way to prolong um um scholarship and the natural response under this type of hermeneutic is serious scholars and serious faith believers Are just going to go somewhere else and they're just going to do something else because they don't have time for this and it's just it's a value judgment at that moment right yeah and yeah
0: um well this has been great uh talking with you um summarizing up i'm going to read again from this hans gutierrez uh uh critique um because he talks about this historical imbalance uh of adventist hermeneutics saying we haven't accepted our own historical times we uh live as though we were in the apostolic times committing two raw mistakes excessively over idolizing apostolic times and number two undervaluing our own times and then he asks Mm. this question how should we then what should we then do with our bodies with our personal identity how should we respond to new situations and dilemmas such as homosexuality, women's ordination, the age of the earth, or the ecological crisis. These can't be answered unilaterally with an it is written. Your thoughts?
1: I hope this, this final thought maybe as an optimism, as like a, a programmatic way forward, because we can just tear this apart, but problems without potential solutions and um, without addressing the fear, um, is not really helpful. I think Adventism, true Adventist hermeneutic in reality, in practice, is one that is a, is not a monolith. It's diverse. By nature of our mission, it's diverse. Um, you rarely can find someone coming together with the same exact reading, (laughs) you know, And, and that's a cherished opportunity for us to truly create an Adventist hermeneutic to address the diverse and nuanced challenges that the problems of the 21st century uh, present. We can actually create dynamic solutions that are fundamentally Christological, have high Christology, high uh, can- canon, we can stay Protestant, we can, we can do all of the things that we like, and yet allow for the flexibility of human relationships to embody this God is love paradigm. We, I mean, our emphasis is always on God is love. If we're going to take the the conflict series uh, of any weight, I mean, it's the beginning and end of this wonderful five book series. God is love. Yeah. And yeah. if if our our response is meanness, you know, if you are against my reading, then you are evil and and possessed by the devil. Instead of I understand that you don't agree with me, but can I do anything for you? How do we, how do we embrace this diversity in a way that is uplifting? And we have the opportunity because we have not come to terms with our own institutional identity to really form ourselves in a way that is both, uh, highly aware and sensitive to the sacredness of scripture and, and sacred life and the intersection of human sacredness and our responsibility to humanity. We have this opportunity and it's not going to come from a monolithic reading. Uh, perhaps maybe the monolithic reading is, what have I done for my brother and sister? Mm. And, and that maybe can be our hermeneutic, our monolithic hermeneutic, what have you done for your neighbor, you know, and build from there.
0: Mm. Beautiful. Thanks for take, giving us a foundation in these uh, anti-foundational uh, times. <laughs> uh, a pastor, uh, pastor's heart. There. Um, thanks so much. I always appreciate listening to your thoughts and talking with you, JP.
1: It, it's a, it's a blessing and an honor. Thank you.
0: Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear.
1: The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move, with the poor and the meek, and the hungry and the lonely. Oh, i
0: never. Forget.